Genesis chapter 18, I'm starting to read from verse uh, 16. It is, if you have a church Bible, on page 18. So the Bible says, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am going to, about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. We thank Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Aaron Johnson, and I'm the associate pastor here. I'm here by kind invitation of the elders. Just the one microphone, gentlemen, would be wonderful. Thank you. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you for your inspired word. Thank you, Lord, that we can rely on every word, on every promise of the living word of the living God. So be with us now, Father, as we study it. Come and help us, Father. Give us, give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to respond to what it is you would have us learn today. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you now, we pray. Amen. So on Genesis 18, we're considering that Abraham pleads with the Lord. Have I got a slide there? Okay, we'll, we'll press on. When, when you catch up, if you could uh, do it manually, please, gentlemen, that'd be wonderful. Salvage hunters. Salvage Hunters. Have any of you watched that on TV? It's a, it's a TV program featuring, featuring an antique dealer called Drew Pritchard who goes around various castles, stately homes and junkyards searching for bargains in the antique world. Anybody familiar with Drew Pritchard? Yeah, about three. Okay, it's on one of the very obscure channels, but it's on it seems 24 hours a day. Whenever you switch on, he's there, salvage hunters. Now, it's common for, for Drew to squeeze himself in behind a large, dusty uh, chest of drawers to dig out an old lamp that he thinks might be valuable. And so he examines it, and then he asks the owner if it's for sale, and the owner will say yes. Drew will say, how much do you want? And the owner might say something silly like, a thousand pounds for that dusty old broken lamp. A thousand pounds, and then Drew will say, I'll give you 200. I'll take 800, 400. How about five? Yes, we'll meet in the middle, is the way it always works. They always meet in the middle, this kind of bargaining. I wonder if that's what you think is happening here in, in Genesis chapter 18, that Abraham and the Lord are bargaining. They start with a high number and then they agree to meet in the middle. Is this just, just regular bargaining to see if a, a deal can be struck? Let's see if there's another explanation as we continue this exciting story of Abraham known as the friend of God. So we've been studying the story of Abraham for the last month or two. We've seen that Abraham was chosen by God to be the father of a new nation and that the Lord would lead that nation into a promised land, that he would give him a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which of course VeggieTales describes as, ugh, sounds sticky. And God made a covenant with, with Abraham where Abraham would be right with God in God's sight, through faith alone, not by works so that no one could boast, but by faith alone. And God would give this very old man, Abraham, and his very old wife, Sarah, a child in their old age, a son from whom all nations will be blessed. That ultimately, of course, would be the Lord Jesus Christ, a direct descendant from Abraham, which you can read about in Matthew chapter 1. So we'll study this passage under two simple titles. Number one, Abraham walks with the Lord. And number two, Abraham pleads with the Lord. So number one, Abraham walks with the Lord. Let's, let's read again, please, verses 16 and, and on to 22. 
Verse 16, when the men got up to leave, there were three visitors who came to visit Abraham and he provided them with a generous meal. When these men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him or through his seed, Jesus. For I have chosen him so that he will uh, direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So last week, if you were here, you may remember that Abraham was sitting outside his tent at lunchtime, just getting ready for his wee siesta, and then three men walked up. He gave immediate instructions for a generous meal to be provided for them, and we found out that two of these men were angels in human form. And the third was the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, two thousand years before he was born in Bethlehem. Special brownie points, if anybody who is not currently an elder and not previously been an elder, can anybody tell me what that fancy word is, which is a visible manifestation of the Lord? I'm sorry, elders, wife, previous elders' wives are not counted either, Lynn, but good on you. Our wives, our elders' daughters, we Hmm, hmm. Go on, Ruby. It's a theophany. Fantastic. If I, had Mar if I had a Mars bar here, I would be passing it to you. It's a theophany. A theophany is a visible manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ before his birth in Bethlehem. And this is what Abraham, uh, the, what, who Abraham was meeting with. They, he met the Lord Jesus outside his tent and they had lunch together. As they chatted, the Lord Jesus graciously restored Sarah's faith, telling her that within a year, in her old age, she will have a son within the next year. What a wonderful promise. Once this reassurance has been made, Abraham probably expected his visitors to disappear, but they set off to walk towards the city of Sodom and Abraham went with them. As they move towards Sodom, I think Abraham starts to feel a little bit uneasy. He's aware of the holiness of the Lord. He's also aware of the sinfulness of Sodom. So this can't be a social visit. There's a, a verse in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 that says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. The Lord's eyes are too pure to look on the evil of Sodom. The Lord's eyes are too pure to look on the evil, on the sin of your life and mine. Abraham is also aware that his nephew Lot and his family live down in Sodom. So this can't go well. While they're walking along, he senses that the Lord is turning something over in his mind. Verse 17, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him 
so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Abraham is aware... Sorry. Abraham is aware that this is what's going through the mind of the Lord Jesus. And he, is he considers whether he should tell Abraham in advance. There's a verse in Psalm 25 that says, the Lord confides in him who fear him. And I think that's what's happening here. The Lord is confiding in Abraham. So since the Lord wants Abraham to direct his children in the way of the Lord, he just said there, the Saviour wants to, is kind of saying, I want you to trust me, so I'm going to show you how I am going to trust you, Abraham. How, how gracious is the Lord. The Lord wants Abraham to trust God. So God wants Abraham. No, the, the, the Lord wants to put his trust in Abraham. And so the four people come to a halt. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry has reached me. If not, I will know. Now the Lord did not go, sorry, the Lord did not need to go down to Sodom to see the wickedness. He didn't need to walk down his streets or peer in their windows to see what kind of wickedness was going on there. He's the omniscient God. He's the all-knowing God, the God who knows everything, past, present, and future. He knows everything. He knows exactly what's happening in Sodom. But he wants Abraham to see that his ways and his judgments are absolutely fair. On the day of judgment... When you and I stand before the Lord, we will know that the Lord's judgments are right and fair. The whole world will know that his judgments are right and fair. And as Abraham hears these words, he starts to become filled with dread because he knows what the Lord will find there and the implications are clear. So he takes a step of daring. He steps towards the Lord. When the angels leave, it seems that Abraham steps in the way of the Lord, barring his way. And Abraham even then approaches him. Now for you and I, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're going to be here before the Lord with confidence. I wonder if Abraham was confident as he kind of stepped in front of the Lord. I really don't think so. I bet his heart was pounding and his mouth was dry, but this godly man was prepared to take a risk for the people that he loved in the evil city of Sodom. So number two, Abraham pleads with the Lord. Verse 22. Then the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, 
Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep, sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, this, this dialogue between Abraham and Lot, this is the first recorded prayer of intercession in the Bible. That means praying for other people. It's the first recorded prayer of intercession where Abraham prays for somebody else. And because it's the very first in the Bible, then it is recorded in great detail. Abraham is not haggling like an antique dealer trying to strike a good deal. No, 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 no. He's pleading with God on the basis that, God, I know you are merciful. And I know that you are fair. I know that you are just, so I know that you will do right. Are you really going to destroy the entire city if there are just a handful of righteous people? And so that's where Abraham goes down the numbers, 50, 45, 30, and so on. Now, Abraham didn't pray on the basis of his own righteousness. He was extremely humble in his approach to the Lord. In verse 27, Abraham spoke up again, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes. He never considers that he has the right to anything at all from God. So he's very humble in his approach to God. He prays on the basis of his relationship with the Lord. And if we want to be men and women of God, then we need to be nurturing our relationship with God. And the truth is that prayer and Bible reading is the, the, the main ways that that happens. The main way that happens. Our relationship with the God, with a living God, is deepened as we read his word and as we come before him in prayer because you love him and want to know him better. So in this intercessory prayer, Abraham is praying on the basis of God's character. He's praying on the basis of God's character. George Muller George Muller was, uh, was born in Germany, and for many years he was uh, the pastor of a church in Bristol in the UK. George Muller had a passion for God's glory, and he wanted to encourage his church members who were struggling in their faith and to prove God's character to people who don't believe in God. So George Muller decided to set up an orphanage with the aim of looking after these children by asking God for the necessary money rather than asking people for the necessary money. He said, if I could provide for the needs of children without ever asking for money, then, but by simple prayer and faith to ask Almighty God to provide then that might strengthen the faith of the believers and open the eyes of the unbelievers on the reliability of God. So, in 1836, George Muller opened his very first children's home. In response to prayer, money, furniture, pots and pans were all donated generously to this children's home. Gifts came from 
all sorts of directions. It wasn't long before the children's home grew to 700. 700 children. And Muller wrote in his diary, I realised that the necessary amounts were very large, but the greater the difficulty to be overcome, the more it would seem that God would be glorified through prayer and faith. Now, things were not always plain sailing in this children's home. One morning, the housekeeper informed George, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's nothing for them to eat. There is no breakfast for 700 children. What can we do, Mr. Muller? George Muller told them to take the children into the dining hall, sit down at the tables, and wait. He prayed with faith. He prayed with faith, and he was interrupted by a knocking at the door. It was the local baker. Mr. Muller, he said, last night I woke up early, so I got up and I baked a whole load of extra bread. Would you like it? Shall I bring it in? Soon, there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman who said, I was coming up the hill and my cart has broken down right outside your orphanage. The milk will be spoilt by the time I get a new wheel for it. Could you use some of it? And so, you know, the, the, the massive milk urns, three were brought in enough for 700 thirsty children. 30 years later, a fifth house was opened at Ashley Downs just outside Bristol and every bit of it was financed by believing prayer. You see, George Muller had read in Psalm 68 verse 4, sing to God, sing in praise of his name. His name is the Lord. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows is God in his holy dwelling. So George Muller took God at his word. God had declared he is a father to the fatherless. Well, I've got 700 kids here who are fatherless. So God, you've promised to be a father to them and fathers provide for their children. God, over to you. George Muller was a man who believed in the promises of God and so he prayed that God would be faithful because to break a promise, then God's character would be defamed. That makes sense, doesn't it? That makes sense. He prayed and he established these children's homes on the basis of God's character. And so it was with Abraham. He prayed to the Lord on the basis of God's character. He begins with the question, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And the implication is, if you do, that's not fair. But because Abraham knows that God is not like that, he boldly says in verse 25, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And Abraham absolutely believes that the Lord will do right. So, what will other people in the surrounding nations say if God destroys Sodom, the good and the wicked, irrespectful of their, of their, their, their personal conduct? 
So Abraham has a passion for God's glory, and he believes that God will not be glorified if God is not there. So that's the basis of this prayer to the Lord. In our prayers, we can never demand, we can never manipulate, we can never try to twist God's arm to do something that's against his character. That doesn't work. But we can be bold in our prayers on the basis of God's character, can't we? We can be bold on the basis of God's character. For indeed, the judge of all the earth will do right, won't he? He will. And Abraham's prayers were persistent. Six times he made his request. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And each time his faith and his boldness are increasing. He presses further into God's mercy and grace. And the Lord hears his prayer. The Lord absolutely hears his prayer. And he agrees that if there are only 10 righteous people in that city, I'll spare the whole lot trouble is we have chapter 19 in our bible that says the lord didn't find even 10 the two angels go into the city and lot invites them into his house to stay but the house is besieged by a mob from the city who demand to do wicked things to these two messengers of god so the angels tell lot to flee Take his family. So he pleads with his daughters who agree to come. He pleads with his wife who agrees to come. He pleads with his two sons-in-law and they laugh at him. And so this group of four, Lot, his wife, and two daughters, flee into the night before fire and sulfur fall from heaven in judgment on Sodom and the neighboring town of Gomorrah. The cities are destroyed. Was God fair? Absolutely. Was God just? Absolutely. Did God answer Abraham's prayer in sparing the city if only ten could be found? Yes, because ten could not be found. God did not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Verse 25 says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And yes, he did. Yes, he did. One righteous man was saved with his family, but all the wicked were perished, showing that God's judgment is right and fair. Now, whizzing forward towards the back of the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 2 it says that God rescued Lot a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless the only righteous people in Sodom were saved by the mercy of God because when it comes to the Lord James chapter 1 says mercy triumphs over judgment Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in closing, what do we learn about the Lord Jesus in this passage? What do we learn about Christ? Well, Christ was clearly present there physically because he was talking with Abraham. That's who Abraham was, was con 
uh, chatting with, wasn't it? And it will be through Christ that all nations will be blessed through his seed. It said that in verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through his seed, which ultimately is me, says Jesus, because that's who is talking. Let us never forget that God's judgment is coming for those who are outside of his kingdom. This, this unbelieving world is a bit like the Titanic heading towards disaster. Some people on the Titanic travelled in great luxury in first class. They enjoyed a life of great luxury while down below in steerage in the cheap rooms where there were no windows, life for people there was hard. But disaster was still coming whether the people were rich or poor. Disaster was unavoidable for, that, for the people on the Titanic. And disaster is heading for you and I and for your family and your friends unless we have faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only rescue boat that God has provided, isn't it? Through faith in the Lord Jesus. The one who paid the price for you on the cross at Calvary and like Abraham, he intercedes for you and I. The Lord Jesus is praying for you and I. So in chapter 19, Abraham, God remembered Abraham and showed him mercy. And God will remember the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ on your day of judgment if your hope is in him. Trust in the Lord Jesus. His promises are true. He will never let you down. Praise God that mercy triumphs over judgment for you and I. It's all through the Lord Jesus. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and bless your name that you are good, you are just, you are fair, you are the God who keeps his promises. Thank you, loving Saviour, that you are a wonderful God to us. Your grace is poured out every day to us, who, people who don't deserve it, yet you are a loving God. Father, we thank you that we are saved by faith alone, just as Abraham was. And we thank you, Lord God, that there is still room in heaven for our friends and families. If they will but turn to Christ, then their judgment day will be one of great sweetness and joy. Move in your spirit, Lord God, and draw the people whom we love to Jesus Christ for his honour and his glory and their eternal joy. Amen.